for reasons uh, primarily regarding George being a bully, we join you on my day off to do this podcast. <laughs> I asked you nicely if you wanted to do this. I was like, hey, man, do you want a podcast? You're like, yeah, sure. Yeah, well, I hate to see you sad. Um, that you continually see me every other day of the week. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, you uh, you baited me by making dedicating at least a portion of this podcast to uh, motorsport. But uh, considering we are a f- just a couple, three weeks away from the purely hypothetical and, in my opinion, very unlikely to happen, NHL playoffs, Stanley Cup, super... Super shootout. I don't. They need to call it something else because I. I. Well, actually, we can discuss this because I would be interested to hear your perspective on this. I have a bit of an issue calling this the Stanley Cup playoffs. Yeah. Um, but anyhow, I'm guessing it won't be happening at all. But for now, it's on the books. National Predators, Arizona Coyotes. Uh, the start. matchup no one wants to see. Yeah. Well. Um, it's going to be interesting because um, Arizona just for many reasons, seems to be one of those teams that Nashville just always has a hard time with. Um, granted, this year it seems like Nashville had a hard time with most teams. Um, it is interesting because I feel like it's been, I mean, it has been a while, but I feel like it's been a very long time since I've watched the Nashville Predators play hockey. And I've kind of... Thank God. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I've kind of had to remind myself uh, that things were not going swimmingly, um, even after the coaching change, which I think... Mm, I don't know. It changed the look of the team, which I think it needed to. Like, the, the team needed a refresh, but I'm not sure that they really got considerably better. It, it kind of felt more just like a punishment. Like, all you people asked for this, so here it is. And it's like, great. And then they, you know, they put drop and they said, like, we're going to hire this coach that yeah. isn't necessarily that great. It's just a, I mean, it's, it's a, <laughs> I gave the dog the quietest toy, but she's still managing to make noise. She's so, a good dog. Yes. Um, George and I are also being good citizens and talking behind masks. Uh, we are wearing the same mask. We stretched it over both of our faces. <laughs> uh, nice and safe. So if the audio is a little weirder than usual, um, deal with it. Uh, this is the price you pay. <laughs> the sweet, sweet analytics. <laughs> this is the price. Um, so, George, you, you put in a lot of work coming up with the uh, itinerary here for this hour or so. Uh, I put in a lot of work relative to you. I did some I did some numbers. I did some math. Yeah, you typed in your little keyboard and yep. the um, numbers magically came up. Uh, you know, I drank a couple beers, did <laughs> open the CSV and, you know, hammered away. Uh, anyway, why don't you uh, why don't you get this ball rolling? What are, what are we talking about first? Alright, let's talk about the Preds versus the Coyotes. Oh. Again, the matchup no one wants to see. I don't mean that you know, again, the Predators are a, are a fairly talented team. They have some good players. The Coyotes less so. But I, you really get the sense that the Coyotes are a better coach team in some regards, especially on defense. Uh, they, the Predators have, just in general, a better Corsi, a better shot share, a better goal share, a better uh, expected goal share, um, and expected, and better shooting numbers than the Coyotes. But generally speaking, they do more on offense than they do on defense, and the Coyotes are a pretty locked-down team. Um, the only thing that the Coyotes really do better is actually a uh, high-danger chance percentage, but the Coyotes rank 22nd in the league, and the Predators rank 23rd. So it's not yeah. like these teams are really killing it in that regard either. So basically, you know, this, this proposed schedule has like four games running into one another, yeah. So maybe if you need to miss miss a game, yeah. <laughs> maybe miss theirs. I mean, they say, yeah, there's going to be some really other great games on, so I don't necessarily know that this is going to be the one that you want to see. But who knows, maybe after three months of not seeing any hockey whatsoever, this is the, uh, you know, this this will be enough for you. I mean, it will be cool. Um, I do hope that this happens and by that, I mean, I hope that it's safe enough to happen. Yeah. Um, I mean, we've already seen just today, uh, today is Monday, we've seen Pittsburgh and I think Montreal confirm that there were several players sitting out. Um, 
think Ottawa has at least one player confirmed to sit out. You know, it's like it's these things are going to start popping a lot more. Nashville has Jakob Trenin is un is unable to play. And they said unfit. Was unfit, the, which I mean, it could be a lot of things. Yeah, we we probably shouldn't speculate because it could be no. anything from like he hasn't worked out in three months to right. He has an, a lingering injury to he has COVID. Yeah. Like so, we're we're just not going to speculate, but we're going to say that it could it could be a lot of things. So I think that this whole bubble, as we've seen with NBA, <laughs> the bubble idea works to a little to a to an uh, to a point, but these are mostly young wealthy guys who are stupid. So chances are the bubble, the two hotel or whatever idea is not going to work indefinitely. Yeah. If F one is believed to be a good precursor, and I believe it is. This probably won't happen. Yeah, well, anyhow, um, <laughs> I think in a lot of ways, actually, fan, Nashville fans should be somewhat envious of, of Arizona because Nashville, I think, for really since their deep, you know, deep playoff run, they have kind of been in limbo of, like, good enough to be competitive but not good enough to go for it. And Arizona, I think, is one of those teams that didn't have to really have that debate. It was just like, clearly, we need pieces. We need to change our team dramatically from what it is. And they have. They've added quite a few pieces. You know, certainly not least Taylor Hall and Phil Kessel. Uh, I don't think it's a secret that Taylor Hall will be the key to Arizona's offense during this series. Um, Do you want to get into X-Factors? Because we have a dedicated X Factor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I know that I mean, it's it's not like you need to tune into an analytics podcast to figure out that Taylor Hall might be a good player in the series. <laughs> you know, it's 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 almost stupid to say, but um, basically, I think Arizona has some kind of new exciting pieces. I agree with you that they seem to be a bit more. They have a bit more of a system that I think works. They've designed specifically for their players, and it works. I think Nashville. I mean, it's always tricky when you do a coaching change mid-season. Mm-hmm. You but never know how with, much of the the new system you're really getting. Yeah, um, and you know, hopefully, a, a upside to this extended break is maybe Hines has had time to really analyze his pieces and if he can make some adjustments. But that was always my big frustration with Peter Laviolette was that there were never really any adjustments. It was kind of like the team, the players needed to conform to what he wanted them to do. And I think a really skilled coach in this era of hockey needs to be able to say, look at what the players, the pieces they have, and design a system around that. And with a team like Arizona, where you really don't have the stakes were not as high to maintain some level of competitiveness. It was more just like, we need to change, so let's start working on it. Mm-hmm. And I appreciate what they've done. I mean, they're my my. I guess my piece, one piece of advice in Nashville is to not. Um, not take any penalties like not uh don't let arizona go to the penalty box because arizona has like the most insane penalty kill goal percentage yeah yeah, it's it's hilarious so and (laughs) i think they did um anyhow so it shouldn't i think arizona's a pretty exciting team i think nashville has the potential to be a very exciting team i i feel like we've been deprived of that for a while but they still have the pieces that made them an exciting team a while ago I mean, yeah. yeah. I mean, Philip Forsberg, Mick Jarvidson, yeah. Duchesne, Granlund. Like those are exciting players. They should be doing better. Yeah. Which it, was our big gripe all year. It was just like, where is the, where are the results? Because you have a good roster, you know. Yeah. The only player that like really lived up to expectations was like Yossi Ellis. I want to say, everyone else had like a down season. I think. Yeah. Okay. You did have players starting to do well at the back end of what was. I guess the end of the season. I mean, Johansson was starting to turn things around, and uh, UC Saros especially was playing very well. So, uh, yeah, I guess in terms of X factors, uh, well, a couple, a couple questions. I guess number one, who would, who would be your, who's, who's going to make or break the series for Nashville, and then talk a little bit about your goalie, uh, goalie predictions. So. I really think Johansson's probably going to be the key. Uh, whether and it, a lot of it depends on who, who his linemates are, but um, the belief is that Johansson 
did not play very well this season, except for towards the end. And if he can kind of keep that trend going, he'll still. I think he'll be a, a big part of why the Predators win rather than lose. Um, despite him not having a great season, he still led the team in passes to the slot, and was still a decent force in transition. Although uh, that was never ever his strong suit, uh, and he he was winning battles along the boards, especially in the offensive zone. Although that. I know the, the battles won numbers, but I do not know the uh, offense zone. That's purely eye test. So, um, yeah. Otherwise, I think Victor Arvidsson will probably. I think, yeah, I think Victor Arvidsson will probably have a good series. A lot of the issues that I saw with him kind of stemmed from injury, or a lot of people rather attributed to injury. And uh, he's had three months to rest and recover. Yeah. And he didn't go in for surgery like that, so you have to assume that everything was more wear and tear. So this should be a pretty good... This should have been a good enough rush for him. And hopefully he can kind of continue on. That said, who knows? Yeah, I think my... It's easy to look back on the timeline of the season regarding Johansson and say that the coaching change likely benefited him. And I say that because Johansson, as we all know, is not a shooter, or at least not a volume shooter. Like, he will hold the puck until the game is over, basically, before shooting. And Laviolette was very much a volume guy. Yeah. Low-quality shots and a lot of them. Hines, I was a bit surprised as I kind of dug into this last night. Yes, um, Nashville is producing fewer shot overall shot attempts with Hines, which we expected, but also they're producing fewer high-danger high shot attempts, which was a bit surprising to me. Um, I would have thought that maybe the balance would be more high danger, fewer overall. But it seems like they're just doing less in general. Um, that is in terms of differential, so it includes defense. So relative to their opponents under Hines, Nashville is allowing more high danger chances than they're producing, which is a bit worrying, especially when you've seen goaltending is not really there anymore to bail them out like it has been in the past, which is one of the primary reasons they had such a bad season. So, I've seen this a lot. There's a conception, or there's a belief going around that the Predators were starting to play very well near the end of the season, and that, I believe, was false, and it was mostly that UC Star was was finally playing up to standard. Yeah. And, you know, when they, all of a sudden, when they get, you know, top 10 or top 5 goaltending, apparently they're a competitive team again, which... It's amazing that it's, you know, how many times do we have to teach you this lesson, old man? <laughs> it's like, are we really still going to sit back and believe that that's not the, the deciding factor when it, there's just been so much evidence that goaltending... And I, I've talked about this a lot, so I won't bore you with it, but people like to get on to me when I say that, that like goaltending makes or breaks this team because obviously bad goaltending will cripple any team. But Nashville just leans on it so heavily, and it it, uh, it they absolutely live and die by their own goaltending. Yeah, I mean, and that will be I think will be true in the playoff series. Having good goaltending is an asset. Needing good goaltending is a crush. And oh, that's that's well put. Thank you. And good is an understatement. For yeah, the they need they need Vesna quality goaltending. Okay, so what's your uh, what's your overall prediction for this series? Out best of five, I guess. I think probably the Preds take it in four. Yeah, I have a feeling that Nashville can kind of... I mean, the Predators are just more skilled. ...come in hot and, and try to catch Arizona flat-footed. That's what they should try to do anyway, is just not even let Arizona believe. Because, like you said, they're a defensive team, and if you give them the option to start just locking it down, they absolutely will take it. So you really just need to come in fast, score yeah. some goals, put them on the back foot but that requires the offensive players to actually create offense. Right, and so you're going to lean... <laughs> that requires players that are not Roman Yost. Oh, my God, offense. like, how many times have you heard this? We're going to need Forsberg, Arvidsson, Johansson, Duchesne, like these really high-profile forwards actually have to produce. No more no more fancy stats. It's the playoffs, baby. <laughs> Just win, baby. Just win, baby. <laughs> um, so, yeah, no, it is... It, I mean... I don't think anything is going to be dramatically different than how it ended um, during the regular season. I think Nashville's issues are still going to be there. Arizona will be a very interesting team because I'm not exactly sure what to expect because basically they're still a very new team in terms of this personnel group. Um, 
And like Phil Kessel and Terry Hall could just get hot all of a sudden yeah. and just take over, and that that is a possibility. So you just yeah. don't know. And Kessel hasn't been as good as maybe I expected um, since the transition. Hall has kind of picked up where he left off, just yeah. scoring bunches and creating all kinds of I think he good went chances. Like, he went like pointless, or he had like one goal and one point in like his first six games, and then now has like twenty eight points. Yeah, in like, like yeah. thirty three games. Like he he's, he's starting the, to get hot. He's the player we know he has. So. That man's going to make his money. I don't know. I think it will be an interesting series. It's On paper, it's not two super interesting, high-octane teams, but they should be pretty evenly matched in a lot of ways, and both of them are going to rely heavily on individual players to contribute. I think this this series is going to be very much a chess match or like a soccer game where it's very slow, it's yeah. very possession-based, and it's very much not making a mistake that can lead to a counter. Whereas other series are going to be fast-paced, back and forth, and, you know, bar and burners with bad goaltending. And I think, historically, in the playoffs, Nashville has shown that they excel in the fast-paced, bar and burner-type games. Mm -hmm. And just get chewed up and spit out by teams with a decent strategy. But this is a different coach. He seems to be a little bit more strategy-based than Laviolette. So, I'm looking forward to it. Like I said, I, I very much hope it happens and that it can happen safely. Um, I, I, I have to say I think it's a mistake in terms of public health, but it's not my call. So if it happens that I, you know, I'll, I'll do my, my little hobby of analyzing and watching, but yeah, it does feel a bit strange. feels a bit unnecessary um i just say scrap it start november call it and play 60 game season well that's the other thing too is like the the you know they claim that they're going to have a full season next year or try to which would require a delayed start because the turnaround from august to basically september preseason would be nothing I think, I think they said that the season would be over around october 1st and i think they said they wanted to start around november 1st and so a yeah. month of yeah, a month of off-season doesn't seem like a good idea. Yeah. So who knows? I mean, that will lead to some... Next season would be just as weird as this one, really, if, if the training camp schedule is that disrupted and players don't get their long off-season. So if you if you could... Because I know you have an issue with calling this like a Stanley Cup playoff. Yeah, yeah. Because everything around it. So if you could, what would you call it? I don't know. I would call it... I think we talked about this before, and you... You sell, you know, like the Challenge Cup or something. Just call yeah. it like it. It still should be a cool thing, and you should absolutely go try to win. You know, ignoring the high likelihood of first overall draft pick. <laughs> oh, which is hilarious. Um, I, th- I honestly, when I saw it, I was like, "That's cool. I'm, yeah. I'm okay with it because I'm in it for the chaos." Oh yeah, I'm, I have no issues with it. I just think it's funny that the NHL keeps doing this to themselves. <laughs> they just cannot operate normally. Um, it's like the Babadook meme. Why can't you just be normal? <laughs> Screams. <laughs> Anyhow, um, I I don't know. I would call it... Like, I don't think that it should be an asterisk. Because I think that you just have to either say it's a Stanley Cup or not. Um, and it's going to be fresh. Like, the only team... The only fan base who's going to think it's legit is the one who wins. Yeah. Everyone else is going to say it's bullshit, you know? So, I wish that it didn't have to have that. But also, if you call it something else, maybe then the teams would be even less inclined to actually compete. Um, Here's what you do. Call it the Corsi Cup. You call it You call it the first overall cup. Whoever wins gets the first oh, overall cup. Oh, see, that, that's my dream right there. Like, that kind that's, of shit. That's it. There it is. That's that's what the XFL is going to bring. But then coronavirus. DMU coronavirus. Do you think Goodell created... The, do you think Roger Goodell created coronavirus to stop the XFL from being a competitive product? Yeah, forget Wayfair. This is the yeah, right. Yeah, I'm all kinds of, I, I'm having trouble keeping up with this game. <laughs> um, hmm. Okay. <laughs> What's next? What's, What's next on our list here? I could talk about all the weird shit I want to happen to the uh, to the playoffs for forever. I Like, let's make it... Let's do three three overtime. But, like, you have five minutes... Oh yeah, uh, not, I think... not first come like you have the extra five minutes. Whoever can score the most goals in that five minutes wins, and if it ties, we're going to ten minutes. Yeah, I do think this is the perfect opportunity. Kind of like, um, I, almost kind of like using like junior leagues as a little bit of a trial run for 
teams, like different strategies, wacky special teams and that kind of thing, just like see how it works. I think this would be the perfect opportunity for the NHL to try some crazy overtime rules and playoff setups. And like on the power play, if you score, you still get the power play. Like yeah, yeah, just stuff know, like that. There's no longer the seventy or the seventy Canadians that are just scoring three goals on a team in a power play. <laughs> like who cares? Let's go. Um, that's that's really all I should. Yeah, but everything it's the NHL, so it will be twenty minute overtime. <laughs> yeah, forever until three in the morning. Oh, dumbass sport. It'll be nice to have, yeah. Well, it'll be nice to have our dumbass sport back. Yeah. Although, I already have my posh gentleman sport. That's right, yeah. You've, you've finally... <laughs> I've seen the light. Although, yeah, I, I will say, I haven't missed hockey. I think I've missed playing and coaching hockey. I haven't missed watching it. Yeah. And I don't know why that is. I mean, I think it just... It feels often like a chore... When you kind of force yourself to do the kind of stuff that we do, which is basically turning it into a chore um, for no reason. And just remember, people, we do this for you. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we you know have, what you want. Yeah, I'm surprised you miss it because you were, you were having to track most of these games. So it was taking you. I mean, it, it gave me a better insight into the game that I was, that I really appreciated. And, uh, yeah, yeah. It, it helped me become a better coach. And quite frankly, I think that's why we wanted. Our championship. You cannot argue with the championship. Nope. No, uh, sir. No asterisk on the <laughs> U16 JV. U18. U18 JV. <laughs> Whatever we want. We want it. <laughs> just one. Just one on the road to mini. All right. All so right. Uh, other series that are happening. Um, some pretty good ones in terms of like, you know, somewhat rivalries. I don't know. I'm excited to see some of these teams in the playoffs. Yeah. I uh, like Tell, just, tell me about some series you're looking forward to. I have them all in front of me. The, the things I'm looking forward to, Kings versus Rangers, just because I'm very excited to see Artemi Panarin versus the entirety of the other Her- Carolina Hurricanes teams. Uh, yeah, and well, it'll be the battle of the diagonal jersey scripts. Oh, yeah. Well, the highly competitive <laughs> battle of the diagonal jersey script. So like, here's the thing. I, I think Carolina is a really good team. I don't necessarily think that the Rangers are that good of a team. No, I don't either. With that said, Carolina has lost like all three games they've played against the Rangers, and they've lost them handedly. So who knows? Maybe the Rangers just have their number. I think the Rangers might actually be my least favorite team in the NHL. Really? Yeah. Over the Hawks? Yeah. Why? Ask me why. Good. Thank you for asking. <laughs> Because Tony D'Angelo is a piece of shit, and I had the audacity to call him a piece of shit, and suddenly I've got a bunch of NYR fangirl, NYR dude, 98, whatever, bullshit in my Twitter DMs telling me to die. Let's just call them what they are. Barstool fans. Yeah, right, right. Yeah, you're Dave Portnoy simps. (laughs) (laughs) Telling me I should die, and that I'm a leftist... X and Y and such and such and yeah I have no I, and plus they're just boring what a stupid fucking team wasted a great man's goaltending career yeah a great beautiful handsome man just, you know what these are better go Canes Canes in three Canes let's go oh wow oh wow I'm, I'm into it uh, well that's our prediction for that one uh, <laughs> are they um, I like that Leafs versus Jackets series I think that could be fun but I also think that the Leafs are just in, such an entertaining team and the fact that they're going to score a lot of goals, but they're also going to give up a lot of goals that they could be playing, I don't know, the Red Wings. So let's say, you know what? Yeah. I like it. I think the best hockey game I've ever watched was this year, Carolina Carolina in Toronto oh. on, like, kids go to the game day or whatever. Yeah. It was, like, 8 to 7. <laughs> there was a goal every 45 seconds. God, that was I, – I remember watching that game. That was nuts. Yeah. Um, I I probably picked the Leafs to win that, but like in four, I or oh, I'll say five. Yeah, I think Leafs in five is pretty reasonable. Yeah, I don't I don't think the Jackets really. I don't know the Leafs. They're a well coached team, but I think just the Leafs with that level of skill is just going to be overpowered. Yeah. Um, also the Jackets goaltending was really good, but I think both of their goalies have a hundred games between both of them, so you just don't really yeah. know what you're going to get. Goaltending will be super interesting because of how how much of a break they've gotten because usually yeah. by this end the goalies are on their last fumes but well, so that's what I was thinking with the Predators because I think Saros has given you plenty of reason to 
Oh, absolutely. To, to start I think him. he's the de facto starter. But or should be. If let's say let's say he comes out and plays a, a bad game one, which is a possibility, so people are going to be calling for Rene. Yep. Like, well, he's he's rested. He has all this. He has all the experience. Yep. Granted, he has all the experience playing bad playoff games, but. <laughs> Yeah, well, not an early round to be fair. <laughs> so he should be. I don't know. That, was it last year where they played the Colorado Avalanche and they almost lost to them? Uh, no, it was, I think it was two years ago because last year was. Oh, the Dallas. They just got curb stomped by Dallas. That was really bad. Yeah. Those were bad games too. Yeah. Um, Flames versus Jets. I think that the Flames should win that, but Connor Halbuck has probably been the best player in the NHL this season, so. Who knows? Maybe you can. Maybe you can hold them. That's one that it is really a shame. I mean, that you can't have fans. Yeah. Because like in Canada, playoff series, Flames and Jets would be awesome. Yeah. Um, any two Canadian teams playing up there for a playoff series would be fun, um, in terms of the fans. But are are they going to do the piped in noise like the Premier League? I don't know. I just. I hope not. I I just want it to be like Twitch plays. Yeah. Hockey, yeah, yeah. Like, Twitch. Everybody gets to vote for like. Booze, you have 60 minutes of just yeah. people booing. I hate that shit, though, in, in the Premier League. It's like, when you watch it on TV, they have, like, pre-recorded crowd noise. You know, it's like a, bare, a near miss in the goal, and everyone goes, oh! Kind of like uh, we we golf. <laughs> they should use the Wii. <laughs> Can someone please set up a stream where they use the Wii golf reaction sound? Um, oh, God. Anyhow... Uh, some game, some series that will be dreadfully boring. Uh, Minnesota, <laughs> Vancouver. I'm sorry. Did you, did you just say that a game involving Kevin Fiala will be boring? Yeah, you know what? I realized this the other day because I actually, for a, a brief moment, forgot about Kevin Fiala being in Minnesota. And if if the team sucks that much ass that I forget about, probably who I'd consider one of the most underrated players in the league being on the team. Yeah. Man. I haven't. I, fuck the wild. Whatever. Yeah. Moving on. The mild. Pens and Habs, the COVID playoffs. The COVID, the COVID the Cup. The COVID <laughs> Both teams have like nine players who have already tested positive or something. Hey, three on three, the entire games. It's you have nine players. It's, it's perfect. It's going to be what? It's going to be the Hershey versus whoever. <laughs> Hershey versus Laval. Yeah. Perfect. Uh, and then another one that no one asked for in New York Islanders versus the Florida Panthers. Um, the Barkov sweepstakes, hopefully, or the Barkov show. Um. Yeah. yeah, you couldn't really pay me to watch the Isles play hockey. No, no. Uh, I mean, they've got what, like, two exciting young players, which is always fun. But Barzal. Who's the other? Maybe just one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like a year or so ago, there was another player there that was actually pretty entertaining to watch. Um, but I'm blanking on the name. Yeah, I've been out of this for a while, man. It's funny, like, to read all these names and stuff and feel like I haven't seen them in three months. Because um, I haven't. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so that'll wrap up the uh, the first round. I mean, this will be super entertaining if they can pull it off because of the proximity of the games to one another, the stakes of the games, the implications in regarding the first round pick. There's a lot of layers to this. Um you know, it, it's it basically only sucks for the team. They should have just done a thirty-two team playoff, or thirty-one <laughs> team rather. Because I I feel I kind of feel for the guys that uh that aren't don't get to watch at least with the with the team. Um, but yeah. as a neutral fan, this will be awesome too. Yeah, which I think you and I have somewhat resigned ourselves to being. I mean, I don't care anymore. The Sharks have made damn sure of that. Yeah, I like that on like on my phone the NHL app like little score card or whatever on my homepage. It's stuck on the <laughs> Sharks losing to the Hawks on what I guess was the last night of the, of the regular season. Oh, I've heard so it's good. It's been there for like three months. <laughs> no, we never talked about the Hawks versus the Oilers. Oh, right. That's probably going to be dumb. Well, that would be fun because, I mean, aren't they playing in... Wait, sorry. Where's It's Toronto and where's the other I thought home? it was Edmonton. I think it is Edmonton, so that would be fun. But there's no fans, so it doesn't really matter. Yeah. Yeah. That's God, that sucks. I mean, I get it. There shouldn't be fans. Yeah. But it, that will... Another reason this really shouldn't be called the Stanley Cup playoffs, in my opinion. Because it's just not going to feel like it. Yeah. Although, I am kind of excited to, like, listen to games and not hear someone yell, shoot. Yeah. And have, like, the people stand up. That's the worst thing about Toronto. Something about the camera angle in Toronto. There's always someone standing in front of it. So, actually, with, like, 800 games or whatever they're playing in Toronto, the, it will be nice to not have that standing up, dude. 
Ah, uh, yes, standing up, dude. <laughs> Our, everyone's favorite standing up, dude. Um, oh, man. All right. Well, that's about 30 minutes of hockey. <laughs> 30 minutes of F1. <laughs> Let's hey, do. hey, like 25, and then we'll do five minutes of questions. Right. Which uh, we actually got a lot of, so thank you guys. Yes. Um, good to be back. Good to have some questions. Yeah. All right. F1 time. Um, the race yesterday. Yeah, so you watched. Um, I was I, hoping you would have watched, because I was. otherwise we were just going to have to have it on the background and comment in real time. Now, I, with, with this race yesterday, yeah. it probably been real boring. Yeah, really nothing in comparison to the first race. Um, obviously, back-to-back weeks on the same track is super interesting. I really, I mean, I. Yeah, I'll, I'll just go ahead and say I really wish the bad weather from qualifying mm-hmm. had carried over because, like, that completely changed the outlook from the week before. Even though it's like the exact same track a week later, yeah, it would have been a totally different race if it had been pouring rain. Yeah, I. I liked it. The thing that keeps coming back to me, though, is it didn't really feel like a lot of strategy had changed necessarily. I saw that some cars were working with different tires in the week before, but I don't think any team really nailed it down. And no, with the amount of data that they had, they probably should have had a better strategy. Um, yeah. The well, that's the funny thing is that like the first race was such a shit show in terms of DNFs. I think there were nine nine races yeah. who did not finish out of twenty. You know. Um, so really, that should have been, like, there should have been a lot of teams changing. I think because I think of those nine retirements, five or six of them were because of mechanical issues with the car and not mm-hmm. because of an accident. Um, a lot of brake issues, gearbox issues, like mm-hmm. a lot of things to improve on. Even the Mercedes, which finished very highly, yeah, had gearbox. Well, issues, that's what they're that's what they're saying is like the the curbs at the Red Bull ring are so like punishing but you know when you watch any race like the key to a fast lap is you really have to cut you have to clip the apex which requires you hitting the curb yeah the rumble strip sort of and if the track is really punishing on that then it's going to fuck the cars up but you have to like otherwise you're just going to take a slow lap and then there was that was the funny thing was there mercedes was kind of asking their drivers to take it easy it's like well when lewis hamilton is like a lap up on everyone else I, yeah, you can kind of see him start to take corners yeah. a little bit wider. Yeah, and that was, I mean, I think watching like even even back to like the practice for the first race, I just my takeaway was that Mercedes was going to be on a different planet this year because you know Formula One is, I think, rightly criticized for having the quote top three. You know, out of ten teams, really only three are competing for the overall, yeah. and really only Mercedes is. Um, but this year, at least, they've gotten rid of the top three, and it's just a top one, which is great because that means like Mercedes can go win whatever, Hamilton can go win his sixth thing in a row, I think. Yeah. Um, and every like everyone else is a midfield team now, because the, yeah. the bad teams have gotten a little better, except for Haas, who's just sputtering. Haas yeah. has some real issues with that car. Um, I'm, I wouldn't be surprised if their days in F one are numbered. You think? Yeah, because they had well, they had a big issue last year with the spon- big sponsor fell through. Oh, I remember that the guy. Um, that- yeah, the en- rich energy. Um, what well, what was that issue? I he, just remember he never gave them money that he said he was going. Yeah, to Yeah, he like so he signed a contract with them for I think seventy million dollars, mm-hmm. and then paid like half it, half up front. So he paid him thirty five million, and then the other the rest of it never came. And his he was claiming that like Haas didn't hold up their end of the bargain because the team wasn't as competitive as like that he had been led to believe. But like, you know, you can't that's not a anyway, it's his fault. Like it's the company's fault for pulling out of the sponsorship deal. I think basically they just didn't have the money or didn't think they could afford it. Yeah, this seems like a rich guy that was trying to Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, so I so I already think like Haas was struggling a bit. They're only American team, like it's they're just kind of unique. They have they have a Ferrari engine, which this year has been hilarious. There's three teams with Ferrari engines, and all of them are awful. Um, anyway, so, wait, so here's here's the thing: if you had to compare Ferrari this year to an NHL team, what would oh, you... oh that a nice little connection yeah. there. Um, the Predators, I would say, <laughs> like the Nash- Ferrari spends like four hundred million dollars a year on 
their car. They get an extra bonus from Formula One for just for having existed this long. Like really? The, yeah, like the legacy teams That's get a dumb. certain amount for staying in the sport. I mean, they, they finished second last year, I yeah. think. So and I mean, they, like, they got a good chunk of the pie. Leclerc, you know, finished second last week. And he, I mean, anyway, Man, maybe one minute and I'll talk about the Ferrari weekend. It was hilarious. But anyway, yeah, I would say, like, Nashville, the Predators have, like, so many pieces. They have so many things on paper that should be going for them. And then they're just mismanaged or fail to perform for every... It's like it's every week. It's kind of someone else's fault. Yeah, it's something else going wrong. Yeah. Technically, you think about it, the Predators are a lot like Haas in that regard, too, where they uh, they had a rich guy coming to buy the team, but he actually didn't have enough money to do so. That's true. And he went to prison. How do I know this? Because he went to my high school. <laughs> is my, that right? My sister is really good friends with his daughter. The the Hamilton Bulldogs, dude? Or Hamilton, uh, Hamilton no, Predators? No, it, it, it was before that. Oh, okay. Yeah, Boots de Blasio. Interesting. Yeah, I know, right? He was supposed to buy an ice rink for my high school and never did. Which, <laughs> yeah, the, it happens. It's the I old, guess. the old Michael Scott. Just the <laughs> what you gonna Scott's do? Tots. Scott's Todd's. <laughs> Good lord. <laughs> uh, yeah. So yeah, Ferrari. Yeah, Ferrari. I think that makes sense. Yeah. They so much skill, so much money put into it. Yeah. Although you could say that there's not as much money put into it. Maybe the Edmonton Oilers. Because, as we know, yeah. the Predators try to cut costs at every at every corner, specifically the analytics corner. Right. So. Yeah. Um, and I, I, I think at least, like, Ferrari is dedicated to being a better team, but just can never actually achieve that. Mm-hmm. I think they are quite stubborn. They're sort of like, you know how Montreal, like, insists on everyone being French-Canadian? Oh. I think... Ferrari is so proud of their heritage, and they should be. I mean, they're still the most successful team in Formula One history. Yeah. But they're like they're so stubborn, and and we are Ferrari, and we do it our own way. And then other teams can kind of just walk past them with the new innovations and being a little bit more open minded. So yeah, Montreal actually might be the the perfect. Yeah. Spend a lot of money, be stuck in their ways, be mediocre. Yep. And so they've fucked up this year because well, I mean. They could turn it around. But they they could have handled they could have handled this better. I don't. They spent so much money on those upgrades and rushed them all, and they got half a lap of data. That's so. the real shame about this weekend. Is like yeah. week one was hugely disappointing. You could tell, like Vettel was having serious issues with the car. Leclerc is a great driver, and I guess he was working out, but he didn't finish second on the road. And, you know, he finished fourth, I think. But you you can't expect to finish above Bodis and, and yeah, Hamilton yeah. on any given week. That's well, but that's the problem. Is I think they're sort of. Ferrari have been the team, really, that should be, you know, competing, really competing with Mercedes, and this year they're further than ever from doing that. Yeah. So that is the real shame, is it seems like they did actually, they probably did make some good improvements to the car. That's what Vettel was saying anyway, that the car did feel better during qualifying and yeah. practice, but yeah, literally they get turn two, both cars are out of the race. It does suck, because I thought Charles Leclerc had such a good first week. I mean, that was... Yeah, he rescued that week for them. Yeah, um, the fact that he got points at all. Yeah. I mean, Sebastian Vettel is a top-tier driver, and he finished 11th, I think. Well, that's the other issue, too, is, you know, they've told him they're not renewing his contract, and I know that, like, Vettel is a professional, and he's being paid a whole lot of money to race cars, but I can sort of sense a lack of really caring. Um, yeah. I and, think and he, I don't, he probably I, feels slighted. But. Yeah, and I don't think that's wrong. I mean, I think he should feel slighted. They've, he is not the first driver in recent history that Ferrari has totally botched their treatment of. And they're clearly going with Leclerc, and they should, because he's the better driver um, at this point. But, yeah, this looks very much like it will be a thrown-away season for Ferrari. Now, the really interesting thing, though, with Formula 1 is that in two years they're changing the... Spending rules dramatically. Oh, is it two years? I thought it was next yeah, year. Yeah, they delayed it because this year is such a mess. Um, so, Ferrari, like, that will cut Ferrari's budget, for example, and this is true of any of the other big spending teams, mm-hmm. but Ferrari is the only one I know offhand that spends that much, like, I know exactly how much they spend a year, which is $400 million. That, their budget will be cut in half. Um, yeah. Less than even, like, $185 million is the spending cap with a few exceptions, but, and all the cars will have to be much more specifically designed. That's designed to help teams like Williams, like Williams, like Haas, that just don't have the spending. They don't have the funding to really compete. Now, one interesting, 
I don't know, probably the most interesting storyline out of the first two races is McLaren. Yeah, good lord. Because McLaren at the beginning of the summer was in real danger of losing their funding. Really? Uh, yeah. Um, they just seem like one of those legacy teams. They are. And they get it, like Ferrari, they get a bonus every year for existing for this long. I think they're the second most successful team in Formula 1 history. Um, so, um, the, the new rules are designed to help teams like that be competitive. And I really hope that the ones that are struggling can kind of hang on for another year or two to get to that point. Just to see. Because, like, Williams will be a totally different team when the spending cap is inst- instituted. Because if you if you kind of pay attention to why their cars are so terrible, it's all money. I mean, they just don't have the engineering. They don't have the engineering budget, and then they their drivers are more or less being groomed to go to the bigger teams. So they're going to lose them as soon as Mercedes has a seat open. Well, that's where Lando Norris came from last season. Yeah. Wasn't he on? I think he was on Williams and graduated up. He's he's been the the number one entertainment factor for the last two weeks. Obviously, oh, absolutely. Overtaking three people in the last two laps yesterday. Uh, to finish fifth, and McLaren's just looking like like they're going to run away with the kind of midfield. Um, uh, Signs is the other driver. He's been yep. He's been pretty good Sainz too. Has been good. He's been quietly um, excellent. He's he's going to um, Ferrari next year, I believe. Is he? Is he the? I think I'm blanking on if that's Signs replacing Vettel yeah. is an interesting idea. I actually thought that Vettel would be a good fit McLaren. I also think Vettel would be a very good fit on Racing Point. Or Force Racing Partner. Racing Point has been another secretly good team this year. Although their strategy has just been, we're just going to cut. We took pictures of Mercedes and we're just going to do that. Yeah, and why not? Yeah. <laughs> right? Which listen, corporate espionage. I'm all for it. Who yeah. cares? Like, let's let's go. Yeah, that's that's great. So, yeah, super interesting season. The midfield is wider than ever right now. Um, Mercedes is going to go on to win, and altogether, I would say. Mercedes is a pretty likable team. I mean, it's annoying that they're so dominant. Every, it, every sport suffers when there's one clear dominant team or group or whatever. But, like, you know, the drivers aren't dicks. Well, Hamilton likes to crash Alex Albon out of races. Which is, you know, like, Hamilton clearly has a bit of that, you know, asshole in him. Like, but you have to. If you're going to be competitive at that level, you have to be able to be that competitive. Like, He's a bit of, he has a bit of an ego. Yeah. So you see him do but, that. He'll he'll turn into you slightly if, he, if you're running around him. But. but genuinely, he's all about, like, he's been huge in the Black Lives Matter protests, yeah. and he's Altogether, genuinely like, a likable guy. A great, them. great ambassador for his sport. And, yeah, so, like, I'm basically all for the setup of the season, which is... Did you see the thing yesterday where he invited the... Um, the the engineer the first black uh, woman engineer yeah 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 the podium with I'm like that's yeah it's hard went, not to like that yeah then he went and chased his, all of his team around <laughs> with the champagne yeah like a likable team they're <laughs> off winning what their six or whatever yeah. and Bodis is good in the sense like he's a good guy in the sense that people think like Connor McDavid's a good guy just because I don't think he talks at yeah all. yeah yeah Something to be said for the quiet guys. Yeah, I loved the, the Alex the the mic'd up Alex Albon thing from when he was uh, crashed by. Uh, yeah, by such a sore loser. This guy is such a sore loser. <laughs> like, really? That's what you go to? Like, I would... Sore winner, I would say. Yeah. He's the one leading out of you. Well, Alvon had him, dude. That, yeah. He was going right around him on the outside. Uh, I see your final uh, F1 point is, why is Max Verstappen's face so punchable? See, that guy is an asshole. Yeah, I really Great driver. I like that he's so passionate and demands so much of his team and his car, but, yeah, that guy's a dick. Yeah, I um, the race he put in yesterday, though, was very entertaining. The fact that he held off Botas for as well, long that as he was, did. I think, that should really, I think Red Bull should really be the one sweating after, aside from Ferrari, yeah. um, after yesterday because it was clear. Like, last year, in that situation, in fact... I think he did win last he year. He won last year, but it was Leclerc that he overtook. But basically, last year, Red Bull had an awesome car. Like, it was clearly very fast. They, they were mm-hmm. overtaking people... And yesterday, it was just like, he could never close. The gap between him and Hamilton was just growing the whole race. Like, the car is clearly not competitive. So they're going to have to figure out. I don't think... I, I remember, or just because I watched it, you know, an hour and a half ago, I did see that there was a lot of front wing damage. I don't know where that came from. I think it happened on the last few laps. Because they actually pulled him to put him on the soft tires with, like, two laps left to try yeah. to get him the fastest lap, just to give him those extra point, that extra point or whatever. Yeah. But then they put him out, like, they... They released him from the pit into traffic, and so he damaged his car and, like, 
It's just like that was just a that's a very Ferrari decision, just totally botching what should so be a pretty easy overthinking it. Yeah, yeah. But I so, I again, think Red Bull should be sweating. Yeah, although it really does feel like they found a, a really good number two. I keep coming back to it. But I really like Albin quite a bit. Yeah, and I think the the dangerous thing for Verstappen is like he came in and, and ousted Ricardo right as like the number one, and it was yeah. clear that like he was the much better driver. Yeah. But the, that line is pretty small. And I think a lot of drivers get kind of lulled into that sense of, of stability. Yeah. And then it really does not take much to have the focus of the team go elsewhere if someone else is starting to get the results. So Verstappen, I know that perhaps, I mean, he did race well yesterday. He did well to keep second. Yeah. Um, well, he finished third. About third, rather. Yeah. yeah, I mean, he did well to finish on the podium with a damaged car and the team kind of messing with him in the end. But yeah. still, like, I mean, Bottas was going to catch him. Yeah, yeah. Like the yeah. just that Mercedes yeah, that car Mercedes is just—it's a, a shark. It's just—it's going to catch you eventually. I—I I would say otherwise. I—I I liked Ricardo's race for a lot of it. Yeah. I thought he—he he did really well. That Renault car is just bad. It's terrible. Yeah, there, that's, that's another team that I think would be in somewhat danger because they're they Renault is interesting too because they're partially state owned. Mm-hmm. So they kind of answer to a higher power than one of these teams. <laughs> in in a way, they answer to the French, <laughs> uh, which no, you never want to be in that position. No. Um, but anyway, I think a lot of these teams are going to be desperately trying to hang on for the the rule overhaul because I think that'll benefit a lot of them. Yeah. But it's really this is a shaping up to be a super entertaining season. If you have like a cable subscription, you can watch. You can use the ESPN app to watch all the races and watch them on replay and whatever. Um, highly recommend it, especially with not a lot of other sports going on for the next few weeks. It's um, it's super entertaining. I woke up one morning to watch it. That was pretty cool. I watched it while like noon today or like yeah. eleven o'clock. Just as good. Yeah, it's one of those things where you can just kind of like. Also, it's it kind of has a little bit of a baseball factor, where like laps. 10 through 60. Yeah. You can kind of just have them in the background yeah. and, you know, do other things. That's kind of yeah. nice, too. Yeah, so, I mean, there are definitely boring races. And if you happen to catch one, don't let it discourage you because there are really exciting ones. Too. Yeah, that first race, man, that was nuts. Um, all right, questions? Uh, questions. Your favorite Drive to Survive character? Um, I would say... Here's, here's my real... Like, what I should answer is... Um, uh, Gunter Steiner, the Haas yeah. racing principal. Uh, the only reason. reason I don't, I don't, I wouldn't pick him is because of the hype. Like he is obviously everyone's favorite now because he's so funny. Yeah, and so therefore I bristle at the idea of choosing him. Um, you hipster. I really like Mattia Binotto, um, the the Ferrari team principal. I don't know the f- really the first thing about him other than that his team is in shambles, <laughs> but he looks funny. Um, he's got cool glasses. He's got that weird hair. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I can't remember if it was the jokes between him or between uh, Steiner and the Mercedes guy or uh, Red Bull, I believe. Uh, maybe I don't know. I don't no, know. No, just one of them. They were joking in German. All the jokes were like, "Yes, but the hunter." Oh yeah, 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 yeah. And no. he just has that real German way of uh, yeah. God, yeah, I like Steiner. I like Danny Ricardo. I think it's hard to dislike him. Even yeah, when he's kind of being a dick. He's funny, so yeah. Um, super upbeat guy. Yeah, very Australian. Just usually happy. Um, even sometimes annoingly so. Yes. I like these young, I really like the young drivers, like Lando and, and, Le, and Leclerc, who like are Twitch streaming by day and Ferrari racing mm. by night or Formula One racing by night. Um, really just such a, it's, it's kind of like hockey now, like with the new wave of young players and just the rules are so different, like mm-hmm. in, in their personal lives and how they're behaving, it's just different. And it's funny to see the older leadership of the teams kind of struggle to understand because they're still getting, I mean, they're like the best, yeah. even though they sit and play video games all the time. And traditionally you would think things that aren't productive. <laughs> um, they're just that good, man. Yeah. Although I think one of my favorite stories so far through the season has been uh, Lando having back injuries or back trouble and a lot of people thinking it's from when his principal <laughs> hugged him oh, after yeah, the first right. race. Uh, yeah, yeah. Which says, what does it, Zach something? Zach, uh, is it Zach Brown? Yes. Zach Brown. Zach Brown. Just Zach Brown gave him a bear hug yeah. causing that much injury. Yeah. It is funny that like the one high profile American in the sport is overweight. <laughs> uh, <there's laughs> your... I mean, I guess Lance Stroll is technically 
Canadian. Oh, he's Canadian. Yeah. yeah. Don't like that guy. Yeah, I never like. I mean, Formula One still very much has a daddy's bunny issue. Um, Stroll being a good example. Basically, he's. I mean, he's a good driver. Like he's clearly a competitive driver, mm-hmm. but he did not earn his way to that point. He mm-hmm. was bought to that point. So. Uh, okay, Next is one. your question, is it Hamilton, oh, whose question, we should probably be associated oh, with whoever else. Yeah, I'll, I'll look it up on. All right, in the meantime, is it Hamilton's mission to make sure Alex Albon never gets a podium? I think... Technically, yes, so far through this season, <laughs> if you think about it. Um, I would say that, obviously, no, it's not Hamilton's, like, true desire to spoil the season of Alex Albon. I will say that, I think... A lesson that other Red Bull drivers have had to deal with recently. Verstappen may be the exception because he can win. Um, is that you think like when you're comp- when you're considered competitive, like oh Red Bull is a competitive team with Mercedes, like they should be there. I think Albon, a driver like Albon, who's somewhat naive, like seems like a really nice guy, but maybe a little too nice. Mm-hmm. Just doesn't really quite understand the competitiveness of a team like Mercedes. I think you just sort of visualize a driver like Hamilton on the road as like almost a fixed point of like the person beat and you just have to get around them. But then you forget that Hamilton's like very much a competitor and then he's not just going to let you through. Yeah. Granted, he did break the rules to yeah, stop that, that from happening. But it, at the Both end of the times. day, yeah. at the end of the day, like who really lost in that situation? Yeah, Hamilton did it. I mean, he lost points, but he won this week. So it doesn't really matter. Alvin lost overall. So it's... You just have to be so careful with Mercedes, and you have to show them respect the whole time. And, you know, it's not Albon's fault. Like, he picked his moment perfectly, but you just have to be super careful because, mm-hmm. you know, that's a, like, you don't get to be the dominant driver and team in a sport by being, you know, allowing, be, by being nice, basically. Yeah, you know, yeah. it's never going to happen. <laughs> All right, so that question, the Lewis Hamilton's personal mission, uh, came from Whit Compton, and then the first one came from our good buddy, uh, Peyton Turnage. Gotcha. So, yeah. Uh, next question is going to be, what is our favorite Hamilton song from Jack Woods? I said that I was unaware Lewis Hamilton made music, which was a funny joke. That was a funny joke. Thank, Thank you. you. Um, but here's something that people may not know about me. I hate musicals. There's only one musical I actively enjoy, and it's Jesus Christ Superstar, which I know that kind of throws a lot of people off. Um, but yeah, no, musicals aren't good. Say what you have to, <laughs> say what you have to say. There's no need to sing. There's no need to rap. Let's just oh, let's say that. our stuff and get out of here. <laughs> I I am inclined to agree with you. I have really no interest in watching. Um, I think I get that everyone loves Lin Manuel Miranda, and I think that he has done great things in his life. I don't like his Twitter persona of just like, just smile and all the world's problems go away. Yeah. Yeah. Miss me with that. Um, <laughs> what's the, uh, what's the quote from King of the Hill? You're not making, you're not making rap music, or you're not making musicals better, you're making rap music worse. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I, I don't want to talk too much smack yeah. because my fiance and her entire family like, yeah, sing that yeah. constantly. I know that will hurt personally offend a few people close to me but I, I really have no interest have I ever told you what my personal hell is and how I have experienced it is it when your fiance's family does the Aaron Rodgers dance no that that too is a little bit bad but um my fiance's family we were driving to go get a uh, a Christmas tree and I think this was like the first year I was dating her uh and it was snowy because it's up in Wisconsin and it's really gorgeous and it's very pristine and we're driving along and they turn on like a tape or a cassette or whatever and it's some musical that I don't know and all of them were singing show tunes as I sat there in the Ooh, car in yeah. the back just clawing at yeah. my skin um, so if I die that's probably where I'm going to end up that makes me happy Thanks. I want you to be miserable in the afterlife thank you um, that's our next question uh, our final question I believe uh, I think we have two uh, what is Duchesne added oh, to this yeah, team, yeah. and whatever what are his contributions without nine and sixty four? Would you like to answer this first, or do you want to just read what I wrote? Go for it. So uh, a lot of what Duchesne adds to the team: good shot, pretty decent passer, uh, but his ability to attack the offensive zone with possession is very. Uh, it, it's actually quite good, especially because he doesn't necessarily exit the zone as efficiently as say, uh, Philip Forsberg does. 
That said, though, um, I think he is second on the team passes er, in completed passes to the slot. And although he doesn't necessarily take a lot of shots from the slot, uh, mostly because he's too busy passing to there, his shot is good enough that he can score from other areas. You'd like to see him be a little bit better on defense. He does give up quite a bit of passes to the slot. But the good news is, is that the team is that him and his line mates, especially when he's with 64 and 9, are good enough to mostly hold uh, the puck in the offensive zone or at least hold on to possession of the puck. Um, I think that he should not be playing with Mikhail Granlund, personally. I think him and Philip Forsberg are a good bunch. But that being said, Granlund is a possession player. He likes to play the game pretty slowly, and he likes to play from the outside. Whereas Forsberg and Duchesne are two players that rely on their speed and their quickness to create offense. And when you have those very much different parts, I think it can kind of create a little bit of havoc in the ranks, uh, especially because Duchesne already works on already works on that passing. He already passes very well uh, from the perimeter, and it doesn't make sense to have you know a player that's really good at passing and a player that's really good at shooting, and then have another guy that's kind of good at passing but from a different kind of way. Uh, it's I think. I think Granlund is better served playing on a different line. Personally, if I could make the line it myself, my first line would be Duchesne centering Forsberg and Arvidsson and just being like pure speed, like who even cares about defense? We're just going to go for it. And then having that Joe Johansson with Granlund and um, who would you put that, that second winger? Oh, uh, jeez. I know. I Nash- it's funny. Uh, like Nashville's top six is not. Uh, not what he used to be. <laughs> I was about to say Kevin Fiala, but <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> I think I'm just dreaming for a better time. Let's take a look. Yeah, well, I would ask you this though: How does um, uh, Matt Duchesne and Kelly Arncroke? There you go. Oh, Kyle Turris. There, there it is. Yeah, Kyle Turris next to Johansson and um, Granlund. I think that's a very strong passing line, but it's also a very strong possession line, and that could be a lot of fun to work with. Then you have that Grimaldi, Benino, Smith line, which works, I guess. Um, it's a shame that the Predators don't still have Mike Fisher. They could do Grimaldi, uh, Grimaldi, Duchesne, Fisher as the All Christ line. Yeah. <laughs> the, um, Christ the, the country line. music line. Uh, the line dance. No. No, that's a little. <laughs> I, you had something there. I Forget just, it. Yeah. You did your best. That's what matters. Um, and did you say who that question came from? Uh, that question came like from our good friend Brian Bastin. Brian. Bastine, Bastine. Uh, of of our much hated rivals on the forecheck. Yes. Grr. Grr. Um, uh, we have another question from Evan Smith. Um, he asked if we could do a breakdown of the differences in forechecking strategies between the two teams in Arizona style and why Arizona style seems to give Nashville so much trouble. So, I watched, I watched two periods of Arizona games last night from different games to hopefully get a better picture. Uh, but I'll start with the Predators, who I have much more experience with. The Predators' forechecking is a 1-2-2 uh, with, the, with the last two at the blue line. So what this means is you have one forechecker, two forwards that kind of hang back a little bit more, kind of closer to where the uh, to where the hashes are on, on the dot. And then, um, and then you have two defensemen at the blue line. Um, and what this does is it's a minimal pressure strategy where you have one player pushing and it forces the other team to make a decision that then the two other players, two other forwards that were kind of around the hash marks can read and react to. And what it's meant to do is it's meant to create turnovers after a pass or after an area play rather than creating a turnover through putting too much pressure on one player. It's a very conservative strategy and it works for teams that are typically slower. But that said, when you have players like Forsberg, Arvidsson, and Duchesne, why are you playing even like Cal Yarncrook? Like, why are you playing a, Craig Smith even too? Why are you playing, uh, you know, such a slow kind of style, such a read and react kind of style? Um, that said, one of the things that you see, uh, one of the things that you see Arizona do so well is they're very much happy to give up shots from the point. They don't really care. A lot of their team plays very deep, and they control breakouts uh, via carrying the puck rather than passing, which is something that you'll see. Players not named Roman Yossi do on the Predators. Roman Yossi just likes to skate it up himself, and bless him, it works quite well. Um, the other thing 
Arizona's forecheck does is actually quite staggering. They kind of copy that one-two-two, but their defense actually likes to hang out a little bit beyond the blue line. And what they do is they use this to counter systems like the Predators, where the Predators will have their wingers kind of fly the coop a little bit early. And once a, once a, uh, once possession is established, the wingers will kind of start streaking up the ice. And what they'll, what they'll try to do is draw the defense back with them, therefore opening space. And if they don't draw that space open, in theory, those wingers are open for a home run pass or a stretch pass. But ever since P.K. Subban kind of left the team, you've stopped seeing that pass get made. Um, with that said, Arizona will, will play back a little bit, their defense especially, but they're much, aggr- they're much more aggressive on that stretch pass, and they do it to great success. Jason Demers especially, but also Jacob Chikrin, has been nothing short of excellent as far as breaking up those stretch passes, at least from the games that I saw. Um, also, Nick Yalmerson is pretty good, but he's always been positionally sound. So I think that's part of the issue. That's what's giving the Predators fits is when they when it's not Roman Yossi and they're looking to make that pass, there is no pass to make. Uh, and even when you have players like Ryan Johansson, Matt Duchesne that can skate the puck, they're the um, Coyotes forwards, uh, especially their second wave of forwards, are on them pretty quickly. So I think that'll probably cause some troubles. This is not a super hard thing to get around. You just don't have your defenseman fly the coop as much. You have your center play a little bit more back, kind of closer towards the middle, not looking for a pass, and you just tell your defense, skate. Like, try to beat them that man one-on-one or try to reverse and go the opposite way, something that the uh, Dallas Stars were really good at last year, and I broke that down probably about a year ago now. Actually, over a year ago now because it was the first round of the playoffs. Um... Yeah, I hope that answers that question. I think there was one more. Uh, what are the perceived differences under Hines versus Laviolette based upon your eyes and the, the stats? Uh, example, I feel as if transition has remained about the same, but the team is doing a better job of making smart decisions with the little bits of, of established zone time they managed to get. You were the one that pulled up the, the numbers yeah. from Natural Stat Trick for that, so I'll, let you, I'll turn that over to you. Yeah, and I can't speak so much about the transition play because that's your domain, but as far as... Um, quality chances. I think the eye test has told us that Nashville is doing better to create high-quality chances under Hines than under Laviolette. Uh, the the so-called stats actually don't back that up. Um, at 5-on-5, five five at least, Nashville's basically, a, I don't know, I hesitate to say, but basically a worse team under Hines than they were under Laviolette in terms of creating any type of scoring chances. Um, and that actually includes goal differential as well at 5-on-5. Five five. So I think it is interesting. I, it's it's so tempting to say that Nashville is – it makes more sense for a Heinz system of less quantity, more quality under Heinz, but actually we haven't really seen that come to fruition. Um, and that might be because players who really you would think excel in that style, um, Johansson, maybe Granlund, these guys – haven't really found their hot streak so you could say if individuals kind of meet the system maybe things will turn around but I really think that Heinz hasn't quite figured out how to build a system around these players which I can excuse because you you know you're thrust into a new team kind of over half well not quite halfway through the season um halfway in hindsight yeah right 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 looking back now but it is, I mean, it has been interesting because it's absolutely a different team than it was under Laviolette, which I would say is a good thing. I was kind of at the point where I would have taken anything else. I was just so sick of Laviolette's ridiculously conservative and wasteful. Well, it's just such a weird oxymoron, but conservative defensively, wasteful offensively. Um, sick of that system. So it's nice to have something a little different. It seems at least a little bit more intentional. But right now, it looks like Nashville may need to still kind of find some more quality shots. Um, maybe some players like Duchesne, Johansson, finding really where they excel, which is passes to high-danger areas, smart decisions with the puck. I think it, it's all there. All the pieces are there and hopefully would come together, you would, you would think, after several games together. But now we've had this huge disruption in the season. It'll be interesting. There's not really a clean answer. Um, other than the eye test doesn't necessarily match the stats, which we see a lot. Um, 
it's tempting to say that Heinz is one way, but perhaps that's not actually how it is in, in reality. Yeah, I'm not I'm not necessarily sold on Heinz, but again, it's so hard to make a decision halfway through a season when, when a coach hasn't had like an actual training camp to give you know, to give his his opinion and to really set his strategy in place. Who knows, maybe this maybe he uses this time to kind of change everything up and that might actually not be a bad idea. Just create something totally new that other teams aren't expecting. Make the game tape of the last 40 games or so invalid, so to speak. Yeah. That'd be pretty interesting. And under Live Delight, it would never happen. No. No, absolutely not. So, if Heinz can at least try something new, I will give him credit. Yeah. All right. Well. I think that's it. Uh, yes, you've been listening to Between the Fangs podcast brought to you by Felony Box Radio. Um, just a quick reminder that, uh, of course... <laughs> As the late great Charlie Daniels would tweet every day for the past decade, Benghazi ain't going away, George. Much like between the between the things podcast. Oh, sorry, I didn't remember why you wanted me to say that. I oh, I thought you just uh, wanted me to cram a Benghazi ain't going away in there. Uh, yes, much like between the things podcast, Benghazi ain't going away. Um, George, where can we find your uh, musings, thoughts, nudes, holy uh, fans? <laughs> what, so you happy. can find that all at <laughs> Datarangus. All of that, really. <laughs> doesn't matter. It's is this our first episode with Datarangus as the handle? I think so. Datarangus. Datarangus. I don't know who came up with that, but it's, it's some sweet line between terrible and brilliant. Perhaps I did, but I don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to go through the, the group chat to find it. <laughs> so yes, at Datarangus, at um, which actually is annoying to me because I pronounce it Data because I think it sounds a little bit more... I don't know. Yeah, my last Less name ambiguous. Is but yes, your last so name is not Matarangus. So yes, it would be I guess Datarangus. I, I produce I pronounce data as data though, so there you go. Mater Matarangus. <laughs> you are now George Matarangus. Uh you can find me at WadeM one one seven on Twitter.com. Wadeem. And of course here on Penalty Box Radio's Between the Things Podcast. Which much like Benghazi. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know. I guess we'll try to do another one of these soon, assuming that the NHL season is proceeding according to plan. Um, and of course, assuming the Formula One season continues, probably closer to, to August first once things actually happen. Yeah, but because uh, there's there's only two weeks between the next race, right? Yeah. Yeah. Oh no no, no. this week. Really? Yep. Three oh. in a row. Three in a row, baby. This is it's the best sport ever. This is truly the best. Um, yep. Wear, wear a mask. Go with Christ. Be be kind to people. Yes. Um, And, uh, yeah, be safe. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening, guys.